Hey, this is Roberto. You're back with another Steambox podcast. Right now, I'm with my steampunks, my warriors from Central Falls. Warriors from Central Falls, please say what's up to the world. What's up? Yes, today, we have your principal, the power that you guys have because your principal's here to answer your questions. And we have it recorded. So if your principal's like, hell yes, you can use your cell phone during your math tests, then you have it recorded and we'll know from now and forevermore. Uh, principal McCarthy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's nice to be here. I'm happy to have you here. I, if you don't mind, I'm going to have you just uh, speak a little extra loud just for the recording. Um, we're happy to have you here. I have so many questions. I have so many people in the room, too. I don't want to take up all that airspace, so I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, I'm going to ask you two quick questions before I shift over to Adam, and they're both super complicated. Uh, the first one uh, is about how Central Falls went through a transition. Central Falls, maybe a dozen years ago, maybe a little less. Uh, was not looking so great, the the schools. Um, and uh, Victor Capellan was here, and they were trying out some different things. And one of the things that Victor Capellan did was he said, I'm going to shake up this whole thing. Uh, and when he did, he pissed off a lot of people. Because people some people are losing their jobs. Uh, some people are pushed out of a system where they work. Um, it was a difficult time. But right now, things seem really nice with Central Falls, particularly the high school. So now I have you in the building, who's a leader of the school. And I know that a number of the, the, the credits can be pointed your way. But I think it's also important to say that you have a distinct level of educators and influencers in your building, like a David Upegi, like a, a Dr. Grant, uh, like an Allison Murray, am I saying that right? Allison Murray, um, and and eager people like Catherine Rickert who are just ready to get the ball moving at any time. Uh, these people are undeniable, and as a gang unit like that, in any school would be a positive influence. Here's the question. I'm getting to the question. It was a long setup. I apologize. Right now, Providence is struggling. Providence is struggling, and one of the things. The only solution I could think of is a full reset. I'm talking burn the whole thing down. And it wasn't until today when I was thinking that I got you on the podcast that I started thinking they kind of did that in Central Falls. How much of the success of Central Falls High School and where you're at right now is because of that reset? Reset? How much of that is because of what you and Stephanie are bringing to the table in terms of leadership? How much of that is because of the team that you've got? Like uh, like Dr. Uh, David Upegi, who's just a genius. What is the key to the success here in Central Falls? So I guess I guess for me, first of all, that the, the, a lot of those changes happened uh, 10 or 11 years ago, which is when I think, I don't know if you guys all know this, but they basically fired, they fired all the teachers, which, and, and then hired 80% of the teachers back. And probably about 40% of our faculty, 50% of our faculty went through that. So there's a lot of trauma still, I think, with the faculty because, you know, one thing that I know about, this is my fifth year in Central Falls, is that, um, is that teachers really care about kids here. I think that's true, and I mean, I've worked in a bunch of different schools, and I feel like that's always, that's always the case, but I really feel like teachers care about the well-being of kids. Sometimes that doesn't... <laughs> it doesn't always manifest in ways, in ways that, that you may see um, or that I may agree with, 
but that is definitely the case. So I think it was a really a gut punch for teachers to feel like you're the problem. Um, so, you know, I, I really think that the key to any type of turnaround in any school, first of all, is embracing the students who you have in your school. Okay, I, um, there are amazing students at Central Falls High School. There are amazing kids everywhere. Um, and Central Falls is no exception. And I think that there are amazing teachers everywhere as well. I think it is a matter of making sure that the voices that need to be heard and the voices and the people who are willing to provide kids opportunities, to provide challenges for students, to encourage kids to think outside the box or take control of their own learning. The more that you can have the, you know, the, the Dr. Grants and the David and Peggy's be the ones who are helping to control the narrative of the education, the better off we are as a community. And by the way, those people are from Central Falls. You know, I always joke with Mr. Ruiz. You guys know Mr. Ruiz? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Mr. Ruiz, Mr. Ruiz is a, is a, went to Central Falls, um, is in the Central Falls Hall of Fame for, soft, for softball. She shows me the trophy every time she can. Um, she's she's training right now to be an administrator, and I joke with her, kind of half joking all the time. You're my exit plan. Like I should not be the one who is the principal of Central Falls High School. Somebody from Central Falls, somebody who speaks Spanish, or Creole, um, someone who's from the community, somebody who's black or brown. I think that's who should be. Um, that's who should be leading Central Falls High School. And so I guess what I'm trying to say in terms of all this is that the people who are from Central Falls, who know this community best, are the ones, I think, who are most responsible for all the positive things that happen at this school. That's a great answer. I've been obsessed with other communities and finding the answer. And honestly, I, I mean it sincerely that it wasn't until I was thinking about you coming on to the podcast. So, so I'm only going to touch that one more time, just really quickly. Do you think, yes or no that other communities who are where Central Falls was 11, 12 years ago, just in a really bad position, do you think other communities can get out of it with a quick turnaround without hitting the reset button? I, I think that, I can't remember who said this, but... You but pointed to the trauma that was endured too. So so you, you did show empathy, you showed sympathy, right? Like it, right. It, it showed the dangers of hitting that reset button. I'm sorry, please continue. No, I just, no that's okay. I think that I think that when something isn't working, I, I can't remember who said this, but you either need to you either there either needs to be a crisis that causes you to act, or you need to manufacture one to actually to cause people to act. So, I just I don't know if you necessarily need to blow something up because I think in some ways, like you're talking about Providence, in some ways they tried to do that, and I don't think it's worked. Um, from the outside, I'm, yeah, you are far closer to that. You guys might have friends who are in Providence schools. You might have a better sense of what that looks like now. I just think that, you know, one of the things that I've always said about about schools is the way that schools become successful is that you give the teachers time to work together in the best interest of students. Like, what's in the best interest of students? And the more time, they, the more. So I, I think that the way that schools um, schools get better is we provide teachers time and space to have conversations to think about the best way to support students. And that if you do that, then you are likely to create both a more collaborative cultures with teachers and more opportunities for kids. And there have to be structures in terms of how you do that. But I think that the teachers, 
are the key to any type of transformation. And if you disempower teachers, as opposed to empowering them, then you're gonna have obstacles all along the way. Because believe me, I've done, been doing this long enough where when I come in and say, oh, we should do this, and if no teachers agree with it, or very few agree with it, it's not gonna work. Because mm -hmm. it doesn't matter whether I think it makes sense, it's whether or not the community thinks it makes sense. And that would also hold for parents and, and, and kids to a degree as well. I asked you outside of the podcast if you were familiar, and of course you are, with Jaime Escalante. Uh, one of my heroes, um, not from Stand and Deliver, but there was a book that I had read. In Stand and Deliver, he was played by Edward James Almos, uh, who's a great actor. But uh, he, he plays this teacher uh, in East L.A., in a very, in a very gang-ridden East L.A., uh, where a lot of his students just came in like straight from the hood and didn't trust the educational system, didn't trust the adults in their building. And he found a way to pull them all together and lead. And that's what I see whenever I'm around David. Whenever I have the the fortune to be in uh, Mr. Upegi's classroom, I see this magical, like literally top level inspirational teacher that belongs on, you know, the Mount Rushmore of teachers. Uh, have you ever... Have you ever seen that from your staff? Have you seen that from Upegi? Have you seen that from some other members of your staff that are just uh, above and beyond? Absolutely. And I know this isn't the David Upegi po podcast, but I'll give you a story from today. Just today. Where he actually sent, sent me two emails this weekend, and so I, I created some time during his prep so for us to talk about it. And one of them was about, um, are any of you guys in diversity talks? <laughs> okay, so on Friday, you guys had a really difficult conversation, right? <laughs> That's an understatement. It wasn't difficult. It was just stupid. Yeah. Okay, you had a stupid conversation. I think it was a it was a highly um, emotional conversation about racism and 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 a statement a statement that diversity talks, you know, um, really feels is important for 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 to be communicated. Um, and so David came and talked to me about... Can I, can I pause and ask a question? Yeah. Is that uh, all white people are inherently racist? Yes. Are yeah. racist, yeah. Exactly. All white people are inherently racist. Right. Uh, okay, that's just for the world at, at home to know what we're talking about. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And black and brown people are not racist. That was, I think, the other piece of it, too. So I wasn't in the, I wasn't in the classroom, neither was David. But David was concerned that talking about something that was so emotionally charged and personal for people and then not giving kids the opportunity to process that outside of the classroom, he was really concerned about that. So he emailed me about that because he was concerned about how kids had the space to process that. And then later on the weekend, he said, the universe is not being kind to me. And he had to share a situation and a story about a teacher who he felt was not um, not invested in kids in the way that they should. And so he basically, you know, I think one thing about David, which I appreciate, is he holds, he holds all his colleagues accountable for their actions in terms of um, believing in students and doing whatever they can to support them. So, yes, I have those conversations frequently, not just with David, but that just happened to be one that I had today with him. Before I talked with David, I was meeting with two of our um, ESL teachers, ESL math teacher um, and an and ESL English teacher, t talking about different ways that we could create more supports for our MLL population. So those types of conversations happen all the time. Great. 
Uh, Steambox is, by the way, here to support MLL. Uh, recent graduate of yours, uh, Desi, um, was uh, Steambox's greatest asset to go in and work with younger students who uh, are English learners. And we started teaching them all these robotics and engineering. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. I've taken up enough space. Adam, go for it. So on Friday, when you came to interview one of my teachers uh, that day, we mentioned uh, the term McCarthy, yeah. McCarthyism. And what you said kind of like, it kind of stuck with me. And I wanted to know more of what you said. When I said, when we mentioned the term McCarthyism, you said, well, what's happening in Central Falls School right now, you just don't know it. What do you, what do you mean by that? I was just joking. Um, <laughs> McCarthyism, McCarthyism, you know, was is sort of a, an, you know, was an, a very sad and evil time period in our, in our nation's history. So I've had... People in other schools that I've worked at have said, oh, yeah, this is just McCarthyism, you know, where you're out to make sure that you're out to identify people who don't agree with you and then, you know, or agree in something that you find repulsive and then um, board. So I don't, um, I, I'd like to think that my leadership style is the opposite of McCarthyism, which is to try to listen to people and to think about solutions that make sense from the perspective of different stakeholders. Um, but... People like to look at the person and say, <laughs> I, have a, I have a second question. Sure. So, uh, how long have you been in this school for? This is my fifth year. Fifth year. From what I remember, every single, before you came, every, there was like a new principal every single year. In the middle school, yeah. Is it middle school yeah. or just high school? Middle Calcut. school. Calcut? Yeah. For how, how long? Not just Calcutt. Okay. You're making a compelling podcast, guys. Uh, <laughs> what's your question? Anyway. What do you what do you think of that like Good. new principle every single year? Well, I think and I would agree. Calcutt has had more of a of um of a frequent turnover than we have at the high school. Before me, Mr. Silva was there um, for maybe three years, and then I'm not sure before him. But even like during that time of transformation, there were new principles basically every single year, and I I just think that that the more stability, and that's not just true of the principal positions, it's true of other positions as well. I think, I think in most cases, the more stability you can have in leadership, the more likely you're able to build on stuff. Because what happens if you have new leaders is they come in with new ideas, and then it's like, oh, we just, the, the, the last person had a new idea, and now that, that's gone. That new idea is gone, so now we've got to try something else. And so there becomes cynicism in the faculty about, like, is this really going to happen? And for the individual person, are they really going to stay, right? So Teachers get fatigued, and then that, that ultimately affects you guys, too. If your teachers are fatigued because they don't know about the direction of their school, then that affects their performance when they're teaching you. I've seen that a million times. Uh, that was a really good rebound, by the way. What's your question? Um, what strived you to become a principal? Stri well, what strived you? I'm working on it. I'm trying to figure it out. They what made you? What inspired me? Yeah. That's a good one. Okay. Good one. So, well, I think a couple of things. Um, so my dad was a principal. And so, of course, I thought the last thing in the world that I wanted to be was in education. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like if my, my, my parents were, my, my mom was a, uh, was a teacher as well. Um, so I, you know, I was not interested in it initially and then you know get to the point in my life where for me it was like I was like 23 24 years old I'm like all right 
I was working in bookstores. I worked for an environmental organization. I'm like, what is it I really like doing? And so I decided I'm going to become basically restorative. So I was restorative for um, for um, a school in suburban in suburban Boston. And I'm like, all right, if I like this job, then maybe I want to get an education. And then, so that inspired me to become a teacher. I went to school to become a teacher. And then at that point, I was really interested in impacting things like student government, um, you know, looking at ways to connect with kids um, inside the classroom but outside the classroom. And after seven years, that led me to, to admitting, all right, well, maybe I do want to be a principal. It took me a while to get there. <laughs> and um, I think it's the best job in education because I think that it provides you opportunities to have lots of conversations with lots of different people, um, but it also doesn't remove you from the reason that we get involved in education in the first place, which is you guys, right? Like I always, I, I, I say this to people, it's like, you know, there's this sort of axiom that, and it, like not just in education, but in other professions, the farther and farther you move up, the farther and farther you move away from what drew you to that profession in the first place, I don't know if that makes sense. So like in education, like if you become a teacher, and what I really miss is I don't have the depth of relationships with you guys that teachers do, right? I still have some relationships, but it's not the depth of the relationships. But if you become a superintendent, right, or somebody who works in the district office, you have even less contact with kids. And I think we all got involved in education to be with kids. So I think the principalship is kind of a sweet spot for that, um, even though I miss the depth of the relationships. One of my friends uh, decided to leave his position as a principal, and I, I was hearing about it all year long. I miss being with the kids. I miss being, like, I just want to go back to being a kindergarten teacher. Right. And he left being a principal and went back to being a kindergarten teacher, uh, which kind of amazed me, right? Because obviously your position is viewed as more prestigious. Uh, that was a great question. Thank you very much. So my question is, what are some challenges that you face when trying to grant or try to help the requests that kids ask of the school? It's right. a really good question. I think it's the hardest, I think it's one of the hardest things about um, being a principal is that when students or families come to you and say and say you know I need to get out of this class right or I need to get out of this because I don't like the teacher or I don't this but this isn't going to help me move forward in my life or something like that whatever it is um, and you you kind of know in your heart that probably that is the right thing to do but you also have these policies that you have to that you have to consider in terms of well if we allow just for instance kids moving from class to class right like if we allow students to move and kind of pick their own classes and decide two or three weeks after they're in well no you know what i don't want you peggy i want murray or i don't want mccarthy right i want somebody else that that creates chaos within the school, and it becomes really hard also because your really talented teachers who are inspirational end up with 35 kids in the class, and your teachers who are not very good end up with 10 kids in the class. So those types of decisions are really hard. We had a decision this weekend where we had a student who was not able to play in the state championship football game because of something that he did. And it's really hard sometimes because in your heart, you want to let you want to let kids participate in things that are really important, but then there are also times when you have to say, look, we have rules 
and policies here, and if we don't follow those, then we really can't, what, what's the message we're sending to everybody else? So, um, so that, that is really hard. I'm sure you already know this person, but I want to introduce you to uh, a future leader of the free world, uh, sophomore class president, uh, and the amazing Naya. Hey, Naya, what's your question for Mr. McCarthy? Um, okay, so first I just want to say me and Mr. McCarthy don't get along a lot. We, like, argue a lot about certain things that I don't agree with what he do. He but, said he didn't want this to become the Obegi show, but you said yeah. the same thing about Obegi, too. When Obegi <laughs> got here, you were like, oh, F this guy. <laughs> um, so my question, I kind of have two. One question is, what's one thing that you hate about being a principal in CF? And I know there's got to be something, so don't say there's not. Damn, already, already <laughs> side-eyed. He didn't even answer the question. It's already side-eyed. Well, this, uh, I, I'll, I'm going to give you two. Cause I think, <laughs> because if I just give you this one, then you're going to say that doesn't count. But I live in South Kingstown. So I have a 35, 40-minute commute on the way up and about a 50, 55-minute commute on the way home. So... Um, both our kids are in college, so it's a little bit less of an issue now than what, you know, like before when I, I used to be the principal in South Kingstown, um, I lived two miles away. So I could go home, make dinner, have dinner, go back to the school. Um, obviously I can't do that. So that, that hurts my personal life because it limits exercise, it makes everything feel rushed at the end of the day. So from a mental health standpoint, I, I don't like that. Um, I think that the other thing that I don't like about Central Falls, which I feel like I can control, is that we are in a react mode so much, right? With things that happen in the school or things that happen outside of the school that force us to really react. If one thing that we don't have a lot in schools, which I really think is missing, is we don't give people enough time to think like to like breathe and think about what we want to do. And so I think that one of the things about CF more than other schools that I've been at is this is just a reality, is there's just a lot going on that's immediate that needs to be handled right now. It's not all safety stuff, but a lot of times it's mental health stuff, support you know kids who are in crisis, teachers who are in crisis, families who are in need. And so that can get frustrating in terms of looking at how we can move the school forward in the long run if we're always being reactive. Okay. Um, my second question was like, we got all these rules that's like, no pass first 10 minutes, no pass last 10 minutes, <laughs> no phones in class. Mind you, some of the teachers don't even be teaching. Um, or we get written up for like little things. Like, is that just rules that like you made up or was it like a district thing? So, um, um, no, I did not make up those rules. So, um, you guys remember last year when we did pulse checks in advisory? Huh? Mm, yeah. Right. What's so, a what's for the, our audience at home? What's a pulse check? Emmy. A pulse check was um, was once every other week in advisory. It was like a three minute survey. How you doing? How you doing in school? How you doing outside outside of school? Just like a smiley face, kind of like the it was modeled after like the bathroom, the bathrooms in the airports. Like yeah, they basically have like. How the you know, rate the cleanliness. Yeah, or exactly. And then if you wanted to add something, you could. So we did that with students and we did it with teachers. And so teachers, so with the students, we would basically, um, you know, if there were specific issues that were going on, we'd address those. With, with teachers, 
teachers responded to the to the pulse checks more than students did. Um, but um, but what we heard from teachers was the school's out of control. Learning learning environment is not working in class. We need to do something to create um, more of an ability for teachers to teach. And so we basically um, put together, we went through this process and people identified some specific strategies. And one of the strategies or some of the strategies that came out of that were, you know, we have to clean up the hallways, right? Hallways, constantly kids, kids out in the hallways. So that's where that ten, first 10 minutes, last 10 minutes. Tardy sweeps, kids are not getting to class on time. And so, um, and tardy sweeps, have, I don't know, they seem like they're kind of fun. Maybe not for you. Um, so, so generally, again, when it comes to these types of, you know, what you might consider punitive measures, those are mostly coming from talking to teachers. Now, I will be, you know, completely transparent in terms of this, right? I can talk and talk and talk about the importance of involving others, but by and large, students have not been involved in these decisions. Mm -hmm. right? um, but I think that what we, what our aim is, is to try to get, get us back to a point where there is a focus on learning throughout the building, and that means being in class and ideally being here on time, um, you know, at eight o'clock in the morning. And so, um, why, why you laugh? Because every day he see me like at eight oh five. Oh wow, you specifically. Damn. That's crazy. So, but he's but he's there. Yeah. From North Kingston. Yeah. How many miles is that? Thirty seven and a half. Thirty seven and a half miles. How many miles away do you live? I live across like right the street. Here. Zero miles. You live zero miles away. He's here on time, and you're Listen, not here on time. Half of the time, no offense. The teachers don't be teaching by that time. So it's like, what's the point? Okay, let me ask you a follow-up question. Oh, Lord. No, 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 this isn't bad. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, this is to empower you. You had a list of things, you had a list of things, list of rules right. that were in there, and you asked, you know, how come, who they're from, are they his rules? Are there any of those rules, some of them must make sense to you, some of them yeah. you must, you, you get. Are there any of those that you think are silly or unneeded, unnecessary? Are there any of those that you, you think, well, this one can go? Can you pick one and say, this one needs improvement. This rule needs to be fixed. Okay, so I agree with the hallway rule. I do, like, even during the 10 minutes, kids still find a way to get out of class. So I agree with that one. But it's like the phone thing. Like, it's not to the point where, like, we want to have our phones out all the time. But it's like, teachers don't teach half of the time. So it's like, what do we do when we're finished with our work? And we look at the time, and she's like, put your phone up. Or what do we do when, like, we have nothing else to do in the class? And she's like, put your phone up for Mr. McCarthy walk in. I'm going to get in trouble for that. Blah, blah. But it's also like, you're not teaching. So you should be getting in trouble more for you not teaching than us having our phones out because we're doing nothing. So it just don't add up. The phone thing is just. You know, that's one of the biggest things to me is that I have felt previously, like, sometimes, we talked about the importance of teachers and trauma that we cause teachers when we're being too tough on them, but I sometimes, I, I will agree that I see students penalized more than teachers for certain things, like, teachers yeah. will get away with certain things, not everything, right, because y'all yeah. punch somebody in the face and y'all have a smaller penalty than if a teacher punched somebody in the face, yeah. but for a lot of things, the teachers aren't penalized in the same way, does that make you feel 
feel some kind of way? Do you feel like, how come they don't have to work half the time, but I have to work, like, the full time? Mm-hmm. Is that is that um, part of what you're saying? So I'm the type of person that, like, if you're not doing nothing, I'm not going to do nothing either. So it's going to be equal for me. But then again, some kids don't, like, they don't feel like they have the confidence to do that. So, I mean, for them, it may seem like that. But for me, it's just like... Would you say the more a teacher gives, the more they're going to get out yeah. of you? Interesting. Does anybody agree the more a teacher gives, the more they're going to get out of you? Yeah. 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 No. And it no. helps with y'all mental health. I'm just saying. Like. I want to touch on mental health, too. Uh, quick question. Thank you, Naya. Uh, those are really good questions. Uh, what gives you anxiety? And do you have a method to deal with your anxiety? You brought it up earlier when you were talking about uh, mental health in the school. Uh, what gives you anxiety, and how do you deal with it? Um, I think that if I think about all the things that need to get done, like, like I think that, so, have you guys had Dr. Toledo on yet? Yes, uh, last year. I don't, I don't know if you remember, Superintendent Toledo was on uh, last year. Oh, yeah, yeah. So she has a really... Great ability. She gives you anxiety, Dr. D- no, she Stephanie, doesn't. You, she doesn't. Mr. McCarthy says you she give him anxiety. She doesn't. She's my, she, even though she's my boss, she doesn't give me anxiety. She's super supportive. Um, I, think, I think there's a couple of things that, that give me anxiety. So like what I was saying about Dr. Toledo was she has an ability to sort of see the big picture, but also is able to sort of master the, the, the little things. And I think it's hard because I think a lot of people are either like they're really good with the with the big vision thing, or they're really good about the, the specific things, but a lot of times they're not good at both. So I get I get overwhelmed sometimes in thinking about how far we need to go. And one of those things is about how are we ensuring that classrooms are places that where kids aren't like, well, I'm just gonna take out my phone because nothing's going on. Now there's plenty of there's plenty of instances where where kids are taking out the phone just because they have mm-hmm. to take out their phone, um, no matter how engaging this, the, 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 the learning is. But I think that that's, that's sort of like, there's so many things that have to be done, dealt with in terms of the media. It's sort of that like reactive, proactive thing I was talking about. So like, are we really growing? Are we improving as a school? How are we determining that? Like, you know, is this like ultimately what I would want for you guys to be able to say is that <clears throat> you come in as a ninth grader and you leave as a 12th grader and you're like, yeah, this school's better than it was than when I was in ninth grade. And what would you say, like, what would that, what would that, how would you answer that? And so I worry about how we continue to move progressively forward and not tread water. And from a stress standpoint, I'm lucky, I think, that I don't get too stressed. But, um, you know, exercising, particularly like chasing a ball around, whether it's, tennis or basketball or you know any of that stuff like that soccer playing indoor soccer when I'm able to like that's what that's where I feel like my that that's the best way for me to address my stress level. Go ahead. And live music. What love say again? And live music. I love And live music. music. Who who like who are you, some of your favorites? So I want to go see a band called The Smile on Wednesday in Boston, which is two members of Radiohead. Okay. Radiohead's a band who I really like. Like, I'm old, so bands <laughs> I like are probably going to be old. Radiohead um, is not still Radiohead? They are, but this is a side project. Okay. So it was the opportunity to see them, like, as far as we're away right here. Like, normally I'd be with 50,000 people. So yeah. I was only with 4,000 people. So 
Yeah, that sounds super cool. Yeah, so that was fun. Uh, and then my son's a musician, so I, have to <laughs> I swear, I swear to God, if you ask him about Spider-Man Two or Heather's, you never get in the mic again. Go ahead. I was never gonna ask that. All right, go ahead. I kind of wanted to. Uh, it was something she and I said. I wanted to like expand on it a bit. We're just talking about like if a teacher doesn't teach. Yeah. How would you find out if a teacher is not teaching, and how would you deal with that situation? So kids come to me all the time. Um, believe it or not, you haven't been in my, well, you just come to tell me what, what the sophomore class is going to do. Um, <laughs> but, um, I think that, that, that lots of times students will come and talk to me about specific teachers and, or parents will initially have a conversation with me about how their son or daughter feels, um, that, you know, a specific class is is unfair or a waste of time or whatever it is. And so that's the way, that's a lot of the ways that I find out in terms of that. I recognize that when I go into a classroom that all of a sudden, like I've had this before, right, where I'll be in a classroom and whoever's next to me will go, it's never like this. <laughs> you, know? Um, you know. But you know that, right? Every time right. you go in a room, you know that everybody's yeah. putting on their leg. Right. The layout. But I have, a, I have a pretty good first Socratic seminar, right, of the year. Um, so, but I do, I mean, it is a frustrating piece where I think that when you know, like, you know, I'm not completely blind to who are the teachers who are, you know, I think by lots of people's standards not doing a good job and then others who are doing a really good job and then the ones that are in the middle. It's just, you know, to maybe to, to speak to the point about, you know, teacher accountability. It is frustrating at times when you know that there's a teacher who's not necessarily serving students and um, there's, like, you can have conversations, you can put people on support plans and things like that, but it takes a huge amount of energy to be able to do that um, in a way that, that makes meaningful change. So, I mean, again, this is why I think the culture is you need, you need other teachers to be the ones who are calling, you know, excuse my language, but calling teachers on their shit, right? Like, like that's what David does, right? Peggy, he, like, calls people on that stuff. And you, ultimately, that's the way I think that... Allison Murray came when uh, the pandemic started. You guys didn't have... The uh, the Chromebooks weren't out then, right? Like, not every... They weren't one-to-one -one Chromebooks by the time the pandemic hit? It was... Yeah, so it was... It was... Well, or the Chromebook that the kids had was, like, six years old. So they didn't work. So she put out, like, a call on social media, and I was like, well, I have all these Steambox ones, but I don't have programs right now because, you know, because of the pandemic... Uh, so she came and got them and brought them out to the students. And this is somebody coming out to like East Providence and, and working together to like refurbish these computers just so you guys can have something. Like there are teachers who go in above and beyond. And there are teachers who like it's like a Best Buy job where they kind of nine to five and, and do the thing. We see those teachers. The difference is the difference is, you know, those teachers like they think that we don't know. They think we can't tell the difference. We can tell the difference. And when I mention the teachers, and I said Ubegi a hundred times already on this podcast, and I talk about Allison, and I talk about uh, uh, Dr. Grant, 
but these are the teachers that hold the other teachers accountable, right? And I feel like that's missing from other schools that I work with. From any other school that I work with, we don't have Jaime Escalante there. We don't have, you've got principals with good intentions and you've got some leadership, but not the kind that can, not the kind that can wrestle with, you know, a teacher's union when they say it's time to go or we've done enough. Uh, and your school has that. And I think that makes, I think that makes, a perfect storm. I think that makes something really nice happening in CF. Uh, thank you for the question, Riri. Go ahead. Um, so I have like two questions. First question is, uh, what made um, the school decide to change its grading policy? Good question. <coughs> so the reason that we we've made a change for the grading policy is because we because grading is highly subjective, um, the way that it, it's existed in the past, which is that. Teachers can teachers could use and again this is all well intentioned, but they can um, teachers would basically value the things that they think are most important. So if you do your homework every day, if that's a high value for a teacher, then that can be thirty percent of your grade. But it didn't actually measure whether or not someone was learning learning could demonstrate that they learned what it is that was intended to learn, be learned in that course. So. That's sort of the short answer is we're trying to focus the grades more on what kids demonstrate they can be able to do, but connected to that is that it doesn't necessarily matter when, this is another part of the grading policy which really is a, a super important piece, is that like, so for instance, you got your first quarter grades, those are essentially progress reports. So what that means is, is that you have the ability to basically go back and if you didn't show on a test or a project or something in October that you know you didn't quite demonstrate proficiency right you have the ability depending on the teacher to go back and say well now I can do that now I can show it and so your grade for the semester is a compilation of all your grades it doesn't just end on November it's like oh whatever you did from September to in October doesn't count anymore for what you did in November and December so the idea is to to basically say that Learning takes time, and it takes different people different amounts of time. But the important thing with grading is a to separate out is to separate out what a student has demonstrated they know versus the habits, and that's where these learner qualities come up, right? Like, are you an advocate? Um, you know, do you show initiative? Do you know? Are you accountable? Like, those are all important things, but they shouldn't be part of your grade. They should be separated out. So that's the idea around it is learning versus habits. Naya, what did you want to add on to that before we continue? Um, so I can say that, like, I'm going to use you pay for an example. Last year I said, I was like, I don't like you. We got problems. But this year I have him, and, like, he's amazing. Like, if we fail anything, he, we can always retake it or anything. But I heard you say, depending on the teacher. Were you wrong last year, or is he better now? Um, I was definitely right last year. He's just better. <laughs> um, so depending on the teacher, like, some, some of them let us retake it. But what about the students that's like, they just do horrible on tests. Like their mind can't process tests. Right. Why do teachers feel like it's our fault because we can't process tests and they don't let us retake it? So the, the grading policy is in an, in an um, is this is sort of an implementation year, and then we're finalizing it at, at, based on what we find in terms of getting input for the following year. And so retakes will be something that that will have to happen. I think that. I can't make, you know, to your point about, like, you know, I was not a good test taker, right? Um, 
but I was okay verbally demonstrating, right, what I did or even writing it, but like sitting in like for 45 minutes and trying to cram, cram down my ideas, I was not good at that. So I had the same experience. I had some teachers go, well, that's too bad. And you're going to get, in fact, it was my biology teacher. And it was like, you know, who, who was that way? But then I had other teachers who were like, okay, well, why don't you come after school and why don't you show me that you can understand it and then we'll look at your grade that way. So I think that having different ways to measure success is hopefully the grading policy also tries to encourage teachers to be able to do that as well. I agree, it doesn't happen all the time. Go ahead. How was that vote made to like for the grading policy? Because I know multiple teachers that don't like the new grading system. Mm -hmm. They don't like it because they've lost control over like what's important in terms of grades. And we're trying to make sure that how you're, how you're assessed in social studies versus science versus math is, um, is the same or is similar. And that everybody has a chance to do retakes. And that um, everybody has time to be able to, to demonstrate that. Um, so that was one of those things that, you know, we made a decision as a leadership team, and I have a leadership team who I work with and teachers around that, that we were going to move forward in terms of this. Um, and so you're right. There's always going to be teachers who don't, don't agree. I never had that. I had numbers that uh, told you about yourself on the back, and I had number 55, which, you know what number 55 said? What? what? Cannot be depended upon to do the right thing in oh, any geez. given situation. <laughs> I got this. A teacher gave that to me. A teacher said that I am unable to be depended upon in any given situation. Uh, what, what's your next one? Uh, my second question was... Um, are lunch proportions calculated? Because usually fourth lunch kids are like complaining yeah, that there's right. never like lunch enough trash, of something. Yeah. Wait, no wait, yeah. Lunch. wait. So they give the good lunch, and then once the good lunch mm -hmm. is gone, if you have late lunch, yeah. For example, the deli had bacon first two lunches. After that, it's gone. The fruit's yeah. disgusting. It be soft. Everything, but lunch is good. The first two. Last so, so here's what I heard, and yeah. we've talked about the lunch before and how you guys have a unique situation with your lunch because it's, it's made there and it's not like this gross you know, microwave stuff that a lot of other schools yeah. have. So I, I heard that, uh, and I also heard what you said, right? The idea that the first couple of lunches get the good stuff and the last couple of lunches get the trash. But here's what else I heard. That's not just your theory. I heard the rest of the group go, yeah, yeah, like, like it's a known <laughs> thing. This is a known thing. Uh, Mr. McCarthy, what the hell? <laughs> what What the hell? If we know... What? I didn't know that. Now, as much as like this, this school lunch is... Well, I worked in Italy for three years. The lunch there was... Phenomenal. <laughs> it's incredible. It's like you had a pasta dish, you know. You had, you know, you had your meat, you had your vegetable, you had. It was great. Before Michelle Obama. Um, yeah. Um, so I think I think that so, first of all, I think that that Ryan, the guy who's at Charwell's, he does a great job, and they're always trying to bring in new ideas and stuff like that. So, but, I mean, I think for stuff like that, I think the important thing is, I'm, I mean, I'm glad you're telling me, but. If you guys want to do this, we set up a meeting with Ryan, and we have a conversation about it. Because I'm sure what they're doing is they're thinking, like, he's, got an, he's probably got an answer in terms of, I have to think about what food I can keep and what food I have to throw away. And I don't think you'd ever can make too much bacon. 
right? No. Right. Right. I mean, right. Most people love bacon. But I have one person in here who can't eat bacon. Everybody else, we're, we're all about right. it. We so, don't got a point. So got... <laughs> it might be a, and it might be a cost thing, too. Like, they can only afford to, to do. But, I mean, you guys should ask that question. Like, I don't know when, when last year when the participatory budgeting group um, got the screens for the cafeteria, like, people voted for that. Um, I don't know if that their conversation was also about the quality of food or not. You're talking about really not, you're talking about the quality of food, but you're also about the quantity of food, right? Like, there's just certain things run out, right? Like, somebody came up to me last week and said, you need to re redo the deli line, because the deli line's always long, right? And, um, you know, and then you end up waiting in line for 20 minutes out of your 25-minute lunch. So, this is all stuff, like, that you guys live that I'm like, I don't, I make my lunch or I have leftovers at home or I don't eat lunch, one of those things. So I don't go down to the cafeteria that much. So like with that specific issue, I don't have an answer for it, but the, I mean, clearly the answer is let's talk to Charles. I bet, I bet when you think about uh, your, your role as an administrator uh, with these schools here and, and other places that you've worked, um, there's a number of things that are on your mind when it comes to managing staff, when it comes to uh, managing curriculum, new rules, uh, probably the least of which is the food. But I have to tell you, whenever I ask students about the schools, the first thing that they talk about is the food. It doesn't matter which community I'm in, and it doesn't matter if they like it or not. So this isn't necessarily just complaint-driven. The first thing students think about is the food, because work is just such a generic thing to them that they just know they have to go and do. The food is the bonus. So it's such a big deal. And in this room of Steambox leaders, you also have two of your class presidents. You have half of the class presidents in your building in this room right now. So my question for you is, are you committed to working with the class presidents on uh, at least investigating that and seeing if there's something that can be done? Of course. Cam, you heard that? Yeah. All right, Keith, what did you want to add? Uh, this is for the class presidents, not you. You, because wow. if I'm correct, last her name year is, that's her name's we, Naya. I, I'm bad with names. Because if I'm correct, last year you, you were here. I don't know if you're class president then, but when we had to do she was the whole, freshman class president. The whole uh, voting for what we want thing, and one of the items were that was that big McDonald's TV screen. <laughs> Listen, I've asked so many people, and they all said they never voted for that TV screen. Did you rig the election? Yes, is what I'm saying. Like, did y'all oh. rig? And, and okay. partly you, partly okay. you. Too. That was Carleen. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Still so like the voting and the ideas of like the TV screens or the improvement on the libraries that was participatory budgeting. That was the class of participatory budgeting. So they came up with that. Me personally, I did vote for the TV screens because the lab, the um cafeteria looked ugly. It was plain without it. So like you just added a TV screen. Hold on, I'm sorry. What did you what did you just say? In my opinion, that was a waste of money. Yeah. It was. Mm -hmm. it was okay. Nobody's looking at them. Okay. And it doesn't it's even have to show there. the menu most of the time. Exactly. It's just what we already know is there. And the writing. So Naya, Naya, and Mr. McCarthy are on the hot seat right now. Well, no, Naya's not on the hot seat because she didn't have anything to do with this. But we can still blame her if you guys want. Yeah, no, no, that's not. Yeah. Really, you shouldn't blame me. You should blame your. You should blame your classmates. Okay, because there was there was absolutely like no, there was nothing to gain by rigging the election, right? So, and participatory participatory budgeting like that's a class this spring. So if you want to be part of that class, you can be part of that class, where 
Do you, are you familiar with participatory budgeting? What that class? I uh, yeah. Is that uh, council councilwoman Jessica Vega yes. was? Yeah. Jess is Jess and Pam Jennings, and then uh, Manny Ramos, the um, Mr. Ramos who. It was him. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's a teacher in that class, so so their job is to is to, is to is to provide options, and then students vote on those options. So, I. I completely understand why people feel strongly about whether it was a waste of money or not, right? Like, I, I get that. But your classmates voted for that. But why was it a question? Or why was it, a, why was it an option? Like, I think it, they didn't explain you, it correctly. That's why people vote for it. Okay, maybe. Nay, what did you want to add? I mean, let's be honest, guys. The other option was we're, there's a new school coming. The other option was a scoreboard in the gym. What are we benefiting from that? Looking at a new score. One of the options was field trips, wasn't it? Um, field trips was an option, but let's be honest, we barely like field trips are so much money. Like if you sit there and actually think about it, you need buses, you need gas for them buses, you need drivers for the buses. We can barely get a bus for sports, and you guys may not know that because some of you guys don't do sports. If but it's really hard to get a bus for sports. Thank you for thank you for responding. If you don't mind, I'm gonna move ahead just a little bit quicker because uh, I want to make sure I get through everybody. I usually have uh, I write programs for eight to twelve students, and I forget that this is a big group because you guys are down for the cause. What's your question? Um, my question was, when you were a child, what did you want to become? Now your dad was a principal. <laughs> my dad was a principal, so I didn't want to be that. That's for sure. Although my dad did something really cool as a principal. I have to plug this. Because I love my dad. Um, so my dad, because you guys would be interested in this. Right. Um, so my dad created a, a school council. And with a, and it was composed of mostly students and teachers. And with a two-thirds majority vote, just like, the, you know, just like our, our government, with a two-thirds majority vote on most things, they could override the principal in terms of decisions. So he created this, this sort of system of government that was very student-centered student and student-focused. Um, and so I enjoyed that in high school, like being part of that. So I sort of like that. I, I really don't know. Like when I was growing up, I probably wanted to be a baseball player, right? Like even though I wasn't very good. Baseball um, player. Or, yeah, or I was very sports-obsessed. Was your so, team the Red Sox? Were you a local yes. guy? <laughs> your, and your brother's a director? My brother's a horror film director. Your brother's a horror film director. Yeah. Anything we might have seen? Uh, he did a movie called The Prodigy, which came out, was in theaters about four or five years ago. I see um, that. Did you? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I heard good. about it. Um, he, um, what's, he's done some really creepy stuff. <laughs> some stuff around Easter. Was your brother a creepy guy to grow up with? No, he was. Well, he was my youngest. He was my my youngest brother. So I, I remember like you know when the, when like I'm the oldest, right? So like I never got away with anything, right? But my younger brother, like I remember coming home from college and like my mom is like handing out Jolt Cola and they're watching zombie movies, like things she would never allow me to do when I was was growing up. Jolt Cola so, was the Red Bull of our generation. Yeah. Like, you went to the high school that your father was a principal at? Mm -hmm. How was that like? Yeah. Uh, privileged? Well, it wasn't good when I got kicked out of French class <laughs> and I was sitting in the hall and my dad walked by and he's like, don't worry, I won't tell, I won't tell your mother. And then, of course, I got home. 
He's like, ah, what are you doing? Um, but, and then my kids, I was my kids principal when we were in Italy. Um, so they had to deal with that. But I'd like to think, I mean, my dad was respected as a principal, and so I didn't get, other than a couple of people saying, well, you made the soccer team because dad's principal. Like, other than dealing with some of that stuff, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Have you experienced, have you experienced your father's pride? I mean, having uh, done the same thing, is your dad still around to see this? Is you, is you, or is your dad, like, hard? Give us, uh, give us a little insight on whether or not you've experienced the sunshine of your dad. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's always nice to have a mentor. Like one of the things we used to do, he's 86 now, so we don't do this and do that anymore. We used to go to Red Sox games and that was really more about just sitting down for three hours and just talking about stuff that was going on. So he's very, I mean, obviously I think he's, he's proud that I'm in education. I have another brother who's also a teacher overseas. Um, so I think he and my mom are both really proud that we're educators and what we represent. So still is, still is a, it's always a nice conversation. It must be nice. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the biggest issue Center for High School is facing right now and what will you do to solve it? Oof. Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I think, I think that, I think that our biggest challenge is, um, I guess this is twofold. It goes back to the, the, I think we need to, the biggest challenge I think is engaging students in their learning and challenging them and, 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 and it's that balance of high expectations but support. Mm -hmm. And how do we balance this notion that we need to expect more of kids but also at the same time are we providing the supports to allow kids to get to the point where they can be successful? And how do we do that? Because there are lots of, you know, we're a very heterogeneous community in a lot of ways. And I think that trying to, trying to do that also with not being particularly well funded in terms of teachers and resources makes it challenging. Although that's been less of an issue with with ESSER money that we have, but there's more funds now. Um, so, but good question. Thank you. Keith. Um, question I have is, there was a thing uh, where we had to extend our transition time from class to, uh, I think it was, it's four minutes now. Mm -hmm. uh, and if I'm correct, last year it was three minutes. What was the point in changing it to two minutes in the first place? Because if I'm correct, it was two minutes before four minutes, right? So last year was four minutes. Mm -hmm. We changed it to three minutes mm -hmm. because the idea was, even though it seems silly, is that it provides us a little bit more time in classes, even though it's one minute a class. And then what we heard, what we heard mostly from, from students was, like two things. One is I physically can't get to my class, <laughs> yes! to my yes! class in Amadeo's room, to Dimmick's room on the third floor in the opposite corner, right? So we heard that, and I think especially when we started doing the tardy sweeps more consistently, we definitely like it's it was kind of heartbreaking. Like, you know, kids would be pissed off. It's like, <laughs> but I basically left my class and tried to get to my class, and now. And for a while during tardy sweeps, and I've kind of told teachers they can't do this, is like 
some were like slamming the door and locking it, not allowing <laughs> people to come in. Beltran, right. So in fact, I called out Jonathan uh, at the faculty meeting, like in a joking way, but it's like, this is not a game where, you know, it's like, go out, if somebody's close by, let them in. So we felt that increasing the tardy sweeps, but then also recognizing that we needed to provide more passing time, which is the same amount of passing time as we had last year. Like it was never at two minutes. Lunch is a, there's a two minute thing with in between lunches, but it, it's never been two minutes. Um, and it's weird, I don't know if you guys felt this, but four minutes feels like forever now. No. Doesn't it? No, no it doesn't. No. It's it's not walk. It goes by nice try. You should also know, you should also know that there were some teachers who were arguing for five and six minute passing periods because, because People don't get enough breaks. Yeah. Kids yes. don't breaks. They go, you know, we're in this factory system where you go from class to class to class. Um, and um, and then we also looked at, well, could we create something where we set up a 15-minute break after two or three classes? Like, we started, we started looking at some yes. different models, but ultimately, we also have an obligation by the state to have you in class for a certain amount of time, so those minutes also play into it. So... That was an interesting question. I didn't even know that. Thank you. Uh, what's your question? Uh, how do you feel being a teacher for a day a few months ago? Because I remember some teachers were out and you needed to become a teacher for a day. Well, I, I actually, I, the, so before I was in Central Falls, I was in Rome, Italy. And I was a principal of a school, an international school there. And so after my first year, I, and I, there was more flexibility. Like, I can't teach a class here because the union would say that I'm taking away a teacher's job. Um, but um, I taught a class there, and it reminded me of how overwhelming preparation and then grading is. And that's one thing I don't miss about teaching is the grading. Like, that's... Um, so I, I think it's easy to go in for, like, a day, I think the harder thing and the more challenging thing would be like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach a semester elective class, right, on something. Um, so, you know, I think anything if you do it once, you know, one time, it's, it's, it's fun. And like I said, I think the only regret I have, well, to the only regret, but the biggest regret I have about becoming a principal versus a teacher, because I taught for seven years, is... Um, is the re is the depth of the relationships with kids like you just don't get that right because I'm not with you for did you have something to add on oh yeah quickly um, I don't know if you remember but last year you were my teacher for 3A that how, period how did yeah. you do for two periods uh, I mean two days in a row yeah it was quite fun actually he got us a brownie so was he better than a substitute yeah Actually. You're better than a substitute. Yeah. What do you want to add? Oh, I'm just curious. What did you teach before becoming a principal? Uh, so I taught, I ta I was certified as a social studies teacher, but in, in, um, in every school I worked in, I either taught, um, I taught a longer period where students got credit for social studies and English, or I taught social studies and English. So even though I wasn't certified in English, I was. Um, there were waivers that the state gave to, because the idea with those types of classes is that you are, you're teaching the English and the social studies together. So the history is connected to the literature, the literature is connected to the history, that type of thing. Cam. My question is. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> freshman class president and future leader, Cam. 
If money and resources were no object, what three things would you change in the school and why? If money was no object, then, uh, then I would have a model where kids are out in the community um, for part of their educational experience, I think especially junior and senior year, so that there was more of a connection between the classroom and what happens outside of the classroom. Not that people are expected to know exactly what they want to do. Like, my brother knew he wanted to make movies from when he was eight years old. But, but you know, not everybody is like that. So I think that would be one thing. I would basically create a schedule so that teachers taught half the time and planned half the time. So, um, so that, um, and I would also extend the school day. Wouldn't mean that everybody has to go from eight until four or five, but that there would be this fluidity to the school. Um, where <laughs> um, I think you're scaring people. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, I mean, and I've talked to, I don't know if any of you have guys have Mr. Maris as, um, yep. as a teacher. So what Mr. Maris always talks about in terms of like that Central Falls, the issues in Central Falls are a product of our system of go to class, three minutes, four minutes, whatever break, go to the next class, go to the next class, go to the next class, that we need more flexibility. Um, and you have to do that by extending the day and um, and extending the amount of people that you have who, who can support kids. Chloe. Um, my question is, what was your, what is your educational background? Well, let's see. Um, I'm old, so um, <laughs> my educational background was I, um, I grew up in New Hampshire, went to Hanover High School. Um, I went to Emory University, which is a university in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, basically because they would let me play soccer and because it was warm. Those were my like two criteria, but it was like my best educational experience for me. Um, um, I have a master's of t in teaching from Brown. Did my student teaching at Hope High School. And I got my admin degree at Harvard, where um, so I was there. And just to sort of dispel any notions, okay, getting into Harvard as an undergraduate is way different than going to graduate school. Um, it's not as difficult to, to get into the ed school. I mean, you guys know I'm not that smart. Um, so those are my, those are the educational pieces. And then from teaching, I taught three years out in Los Angeles. I was out there during the riots, um, which you guys, is eight, you guys weren't even born then. Um, um, then I went to Cartagena, Colombia. I was there for three years and then teaching in an in a, um, in a, um, international school then North Shore Boston for a year, and then I've been an administrator at East Greenwich in South Kingstown in Rome. Why, why Columbia? Um, why Columbia? Because I knew I was destined for Central Falls, and I knew that you, there would be a Columbia. Brush up on your Spanish? Yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> Colum because I wanted to teach internationally, and so I was like, I was, I was young, I was not like, I didn't, wasn't in a relationship, so it wasn't like there was anything, and I didn't know, like, you know, we, so I felt like this was a time to go see the world. And so Cartagena happened to be a place where a friend of mine had worked, they happened to have a position, I got a job there, but if I had gotten a job in Quito, I would have gone there. If I had gotten a job in somewhere in Asia, I probably would have gone there. But I just, I was lucky enough to be able to go to Colombia. All right. 
Okay, since we're having a new building coming in, in the f- near future, when he maybe. talks, doesn't he have this air of importance around him? Like <laughs> it's developed over the course. It wasn't like this freshman year. It's, oh it's, yeah, he it's, knows. It's, it's, it's developed. He he knows how cocky he's made me. I'm his creation. Okay. Uh, let's see. In the new building, are we to expect a faculty change at all, or? No. No. No, there will not be a faculty change. What I think is going to be, um, so. You know that that is that will be like I'm hoping what will happen is is that we'll get more funding and we can hire more teachers, um, but you know the retirement system now um, because teachers now need to, in order to realize their retirement teachers have a pension has been increased is I <laughs> I think people are going to stick around longer than they probably should. Um, and I probably you could say that about me too. So, um, so no, I don't think we're going to have a, a change in faculty. Okay. Oh, hi. Uh, so you went to a lot of good schools, have a lot of history in your job, Mr. Brown and Mr. Harvard man. Uh, why Central Falls of all places? Well, it's a good you know why Central Falls. That so that's always uh, so that's a question we always ask teachers when we interview them. Is why Central Falls, um, but you're driving across the state to come to Central Falls. Well, I so when I was in Italy, like we made a decision we were going to stay in Italy until somebody in the family was like, okay, I want to come home. So my son was like, okay, I'm ready to come home. So I was think so then I was sort of at a crossroads and I was thinking, all right, so what do I want to do? Do I want to get out of education? Do I want to continue being a principal? Do I want to go work for an educational company? Do I want to teach? What is it I want to do? And I made a decision that I enjoyed being a principal, but I had not been a principal in an urban school. And so something you guys don't know, but the teachers know, is there's an accreditation process that each school has to go through. So every 10 years, a school has to get accredited, and there's an outside organization that comes in, and they spend three or four days in the school. They assess everything. The school writes a report, and then that organization determines whether the school should be accredited or not. I led the visit to Central Falls two years after all of the teacher firings happened. Um, and so my kind of vision of an urban school was Central Falls, because that's what I knew. So I basically, I sent my resume to a bunch of urban schools and felt like, okay, I've been doing this long enough where I'm ready to, to take on the challenge of teaching in an urban school. And I Victor Capayan, I sent something to him, and, and I basically said, here's my resume. Do you have any interest in somebody who's primarily worked in suburban and international schools? Because right? other than teaching in urbans, I really hadn't had that much experience. And I got very different responses. The Providence superintendent was like, you know, my worst, my worst principal in an urban school is better than any suburban school principal. He literally said that to me. <laughs> um, but then um, Victor Capayan was like, okay, I think we might have something for you. And long story short, he, um, he basically offered me a job here. And so um, here I am. So I'm psyched. Okay. <laughs> okay. So my question is, why are the bathrooms near the gym locked? It's so, just, it's so inconvenient. Oh. 
Because you, because <laughs> you have one bathroom, the girls, right? And then, you know, there's the guy's bathroom. And so that's the only bathroom. And that bathroom gets packed all the time. Especially during like and they and they go in the stalls. The girls go in the stalls and don't even use the bathroom. They just lock themselves in there for yeah. mental for a mental break. I guess I don't know. I mean, that's the only break we get mentally. So. <laughs> I am, did Why you not? have something to add to that? I was gonna say the same thing on how the boys. There's always like thirty-two different boys. Yeah, and like there's just a, why? 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 why we have like four bathrooms that are locked. Like exactly. usually, it's always the start of lunch period. You'll have like a ton of kids, or even do even through transitions, there's like thirty plus kids in just the one two bathrooms in front of the office. Um, what? I mm-hmm. have an issue with the bathroom. Exactly. There's been a lot of issues. So hold on, hold on. I'm sorry. Go ahead. The, another issue with the bathroom is most of the time they don't have soap or paper. That too. Bathrooms do run out of the paper a lot or soap. So after <laughs> so, the times I'm just washing my food hands. Food and, and then water. bathrooms. These are the. <laughs> oh, yeah. so, it's true. Like, you get it though, right? The sort of basic. Yeah. You know, there's never soap in the girls' locker room. Ever. The things are locked. We just recently got the little. little and soap. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the little hand soap. <laughs> well, for, so I'll just say this first of all about soap, and then I'll talk to you about what the what the difficulty is with the, with the bathrooms that that we've had. And I and I will say I defer to Roberto and restorative team in terms of this, um, for the most part, because I think they are they have the most sort of on the ground day to day interactions with people in the bathroom like I joked with some of the some of the kids the guys in the boys bathroom I'm like I'm gonna put a couch in there for you guys <laughs> yeah because um, dude they sit in there right for so long well it's for vaping um, I know yeah right so so um, so if there isn't soap or towels then you just need to tell the office and then we have a custodian who will fill it up I mean that that, that isn't that is the fastest way to get those to get that filled um the tension with bathrooms is, and you might remember after COVID, we opened up all the bathrooms, and we had like the green bathroom, and the orange bathroom, and the e, the, the third floor bathroom. I can't it was a yellow bathroom, Sorry. I think. We'll we'll be out in uh, five minutes. Oh, okay. No Thanks. Worries. This is what makes a great podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's the tension of the more bathrooms we open up, the more kids hang out in the bathrooms, and so. It's a matter of control, okay? Mm. Um, and so that's really essentially what it comes down to. Like, the bathrooms by the gym will be open some periods, but not all periods, mm-hmm. because we don't have enough staff to basically see who's hanging out there for an entire... Can you tell me which period? Oh, exactly. When, 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 okay, moving on. To check. Go ahead. This is why I give you a note. I know, I know. Three, two... <laughs> Question is, what is a defining moment in your life, and how did it impact you? Wow. That's a great question. Well, I will say this is a defining moment. I'm going to go back to the to the riots, okay? So you guys don't know, maybe you don't know much about the L.A. riots. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? I do. That? I've watched a few videos Rodney on King it. Rodney King. Yep. So basically, L.A. burned for um, where people like the amount, like the... Um, the discrimination towards um, mostly African American black blacks in LA was at a point where people were saying enough is enough, and there was rioting, and it like really intense to the point where 
where I lived, because I lived in downtown L.A., where I watched some of it. Well, I won't, like I won't, in front of you? Right, right in front of me. Like, it was coming right up Vermont Ave, and if they'd gone up three more blocks, they would have been at my, my intersection. But the, the defining moment for me was, so Pasadena, where I worked, everything's, oh, Pasadena, that's a really nice place. Well, it is a nice place, but it's still a part of the urban, urban ring. And we were, we were out of school for three, for three days. And when we came back, this was my third year teacher, but I always said to kids, education is, the, is your pathway to success. You know, no matter what, that's what's going to, that's going to be what, um, you know, what's going to allow you to be successful. And my kids came back who were all black and brown and they basically were like, yeah, now what? Yeah, you think that you think that the system is going to allow us to be successful, you know, based on based on the the Rodney King trial, and I didn't have an answer. I mean, I still don't have an answer, but it really heightened my awareness about inequity, and about the importance of just trying that even if the system is stacked against people, that you still need to keep pushing and providing people more opportunities. But uh, yeah. That was that was a really big that was a really big answer. Like I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, how many different ways do I want to edit that and get that message out to the world? Because you just spoke to like a real time example about learning from our students about equity, given real world examples. Uh, do your best because we're wrapping up. Um. So we heard that the cafe was gonna close, and um, I wanted to ask if there were like any other possible solutions to like the problem of there being too many kids out in the hallway so the cafe is not going to close pog right now we right now well <laughs> it's i think that i think that that we have people taking advantage of it right so similar similar to teachers holding other teachers accountable i think students need to hold students accountable for behavior so that if people are basically abusing a privilege or and I, listen I know adults abuse that privilege too but but if it becomes a point where kids are out of class and using the cafe as a way to stay out of class then um, then we have to take that away but it's it's would be something if we did something like that we would limit hours we would say you know it'll sort of be like tardy sweeps right we're not gonna do tardy sweeps every single day forever we get to a point where I think today we only had eight kids who were tardy during the tardy sweep, which is better than the 49 that we had two weeks ago. Um, so, so, um, so I think that the cafe is something that everybody wants to see and have, but it's also a privilege that really technically the cafeteria could close it down anytime they wanted because Chartwells has a contract. And in that contract, it says that there cannot be any type of competing um, food while they're in operation. So, like during lunchtime, if Charwells wanted to close it down, they could. They haven't, which is a good thing, right? It serves a lot of good purposes. But I think that it's just a matter of thing. It's just a matter of if if things don't improve, and they have. Then, um, then that would be something that we would look at, and you can always take away something and then restore it. But right now, there are no plans to close the cafe. Is this good news to all of you? Yes. yes. Okay, good. Uh, last question. Go ahead. Well, my question is for you. Something Brandon, that could be used for next school year, right? So I'm thinking, 
are we going to keep the period six or or are we going to switch to three back to three A like last year? Well, three A and three A and period three are essentially the same thing, right? It's just that we're we're just we just called three A. I mean, we had six periods last year. I think one of the things that we tend to do in education, and we certainly do it in CF, and teachers complain about it all the time, is we try something and then six months later we go, oh, that's not working, and then. And then, you know, and I've experienced, I've been here long enough where people are hearkening back to things that we did three or four years ago and going, why didn't we keep that? It's like, well, because you all didn't like it and wanted to change it. So personally, I feel like, I think there's a couple of things we need to do with this period three piece, right? One is we have to see whether or not it's actually making a difference, right? Like, is it helping kids who need support? And are the, are the enrichment classes ones that are, that are, enriching students' lives. And if that's the case, I think, then we need to continue to look at that and say, what are the reasons for that, for that being the case? So I think we need to create continuity, but I think that that's something that teachers have already sort of talked to me about. It's like, well, what are we gonna, you know, are we gonna go back to some other form of, um, something other than a six period day? But I, I mean, for right now, there are no plans to change. Mr. I'll tell you something right now, the period three is working for me when it comes to getting Why? Credits like recovering credits, like failed history, a lot. I'm not good at it, but it's the period three is working out for me this year. I passed first quarter history with a pretty well grade, and I'm doing pretty well in the class. So good. I would say period three is working for me at least when it comes to rec uh, recovering credits that yeah. I lost. Um, I came to you about this the first time I seen it on my schedule. I don't agree with having no PSAT class. Like it's pointless. Why? SAT is important. PSAT is like, like, it's so boring. Like, 3A is like, it's supposed to be like fun. It's supposed to be like kind of your break from learning sometimes. Sometimes we need that. Quick. I agree because I have all my credits and stuff, and most of the classes for period three that are not credit recovery are packed mm -hmm. and full and non-interesting. Like, I have critical media analysis. But so I, I, well, I'll t I won't tell Miss Corvo and or Mr. Ramos. They know. They know. Oh yeah, we tell it, of course. We tell them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but my question is: Is there going to be more cruises introduced to period three because there's already uh, all, too many people in certain classes? Quickly. So there, I I think that you know as I said before, there are two there are two purposes for period three, and um, one of them is you know is to support kids need support either in an existing class or they needed to regain credit so that's one thing and the reality is that 80 percent of our um, of our students who enter um, in the ninth grade are reading below grade level or are below in terms of their math their their numeracy or their literacy so be. so that was the original purpose so in terms of the enrichment classes I mean I think that's a really interesting idea in terms of thinking about what are the types of courses that kids would be interested in. Like we have a course that's basically concurrent enrollment for with Brown University right now. Um, but if you want to get into a school, PSAT and SAT unfortunately is a reality. So that's why that class that class is there. But I agree. I had that class the whole too. student choice piece is 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 problematic. I, I get that. I'd love to grab a photo. We're gonna let you off the hot seat in just a second. Keith last I was gonna say like uh, for what she said something about the three A's trying to be fun. I always felt like they weren't supposed to be fun considering they're 
basically cla- like extra classes. So they're not. I re- always thought like no matter what you still. Well, have it depends. We had film that. literature. Real quick. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but you, you have. Class. There's. Uh, you can do. Miss Garces has a film class that I took, which it's was just, it was just, fun. It's like, still working. We watched though. movies and we just wrote about the movies. There are fun and uh, there are fun classes. Is that most of them are just aiming towards kids who need the credits, like me. Not just mm-hmm. not just Mr. McCarthy, who's the principal across the street, to know what's happening here in the building, but also for the world at home. Again, we got listeners in Sweden. I talk about it all the time because pops up and I have no idea why they're listening uh, but why not? Uh, not but I, I do want to say Steambox Steam stands for science technology engineering arts and math and the reason I don't say all those words out loud not only because it's too many but it's a lot of words that we hate right like we hate to think about math and science and stuff like that all the time but that's that's what we're doing here that's what we're doing here now when we're editing uh, this stuff with your arch nemesis Matthew who actually okay, started this guy. program because he wanted to be a DJ uh, That's what we're doing here when we said we want to create our own t-shirts So we got into vectors we got into imaging we got into processing with you guys on the computers And when we do that nobody's getting up to go to the bathroom Nobody's like starting like a whole bunch of like we get distracted easy But then we pull it back in and we're always together on that. My point is steam science technology engineering arts and math and if we added history to that, if we added English to that, it doesn't it doesn't freaking matter. It really doesn't matter because we can do it and we can do it learning it our way, learning it through our passions, learning it through anime and through other things. We can connect those dots. Like my point is, Keith, it can be fun. It always can be fun. It always can be catered to us and catered to what we need. I have the luxury of starting with a small group, and I know your school does not. You've got, like, these large class sizes and stuff, so I know that it's more difficult, and I know that not everybody can be an Allison or uh, a Dr. Grant. I understand that, but what I'm saying is, yes, things can be fun, and I think maybe we should strive to actually teach to the students. Uh, We're going to take your point off uh, off the podcast, if you don't mind. I hope you'd stick around and just take a quick photo with us. We took sure. more than uh, enough of your time. Uh, but I do want to get a quick exit. Um, before we go, is there anything that you want to direct? A lot of times we're plugging movies. We're plugging uh, people's albums and stuff like that. People's books. Uh, what should the world know about uh, Mr. McCarthy? Where should the world go to learn more? And if you don't have any, you can just send us back to that Radiohead uh, spinoff group. Uh, and let us know where should the world go and check stuff out. No, I I kind of like I prefer to kind of stay stay under the radar in terms of in terms of. Media. Don't look up Friends. Mr. McCarthy. Don't find out his aliases. Don't find out about his uh, the vehicular manslaughter. Robert, Robert. <laughs> uh, actually, you're probably not going to find a whole lot. Um, like I'm not on. You're not very public. I'm not on, yes, I try not to be, because, like, my focus is, I think, kind of keeping my head down and, and doing my work here, and then and then hanging out with my family and hanging out with friends, mostly who are in Boston, and enjoying them, so. See, a simple life, and I would want to live. Bro, he called you simple. Be uh, <laughs> personal. So, we've got a shout-out, uh, we've got a shout-out to, to Principal Dad, we've got a shout-out to uh, his wife, I heard earlier, uh, Brothers. Was that right? Brothers and uh, the sister. Yep. Brothers and the sister. Uh, shout out to all these people, uh, except Stephanie, because Stephanie makes him. Uh, Stephanie gives him anxiety. <laughs> no, uh, no, we heard. don't say that. So, That's uh, not true. Uh, so, uh, Stephanie Toledo, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to break it to you. Uh, 
This, I found him immediately. You found him immediately. He found dirt on you immediately What's online. What's Everybody look up Robert McCarthy and find out more about his vehicular manslaughter. This has been another <laughs> podcast from uh, my steampunks, my warriors in Central Falls. Please say peace out to the world. Peace. Bye. Bye.